Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 3, Episode 8, for Saturday the 27th of February 2021. Coming up this week, it's back to the box set with my advertising. Have I gone to the dark side? This week, I've been on the radio talking about my books and liaising with a bookshop to get my titles stocked on the shelves. And why it's been mostly about wide in the past seven days. So quite a busy old week this week. Just lots of bits and pieces, not particularly spectacular bits and pieces, but the nuts and bolts of an indie author business, really. So just getting lots of little bits done that have been outstanding for a while. And I always get a great sense of satisfaction when I do this because I tick things off the list. So first of all, just to let you know that Morecambe Bay 2, the, the box set that went live on Amazon on Monday the 22nd of February. So as you can tell, bearing in mind that I released the first book in that trilogy, trust me, once in November, about the 2nd of November, if memory serves me correctly, using that 28-day release cycle, I've managed to stretch that out over quite some period of time. And each of the books has had pre-orders as we've gone along. So they were all worth doing in their own separate way. It's interesting to see that because I released the six-pack of books before the three-pack of books, it was interesting to see that I actually got more pre-orders on the six-pack of books than I did on the, the three-pack of books. But I got pre-orders on everything. So it's just interesting to see that. But to reiterate, just in case you hear all this talk of rapid release, I still don't think there's a particular benefit to rapid release, not when you're just a regular author just chugging them out every now and then. So although I've had five months of rapid release, that's it now. I won't be releasing anything fiction-wise until at the very earliest, November of this year. So unless you could sustain that one-a-month sausage factory, which I don't want to, I could sustain it, but I don't want to. That's not the kind of author life that I want to have. I decided that not last year, the year before. I just don't want to be that frenetic. I don't want to be spending that many hours a day writing. I want to have a combination of enjoying it, but being productive. And I think I'll have, I think I'll get four books done this year. That for me will be an unproductive year. Uh, a productive year for me, still working at, frankly, a, a nice rate is eight books a year. That's what I did, not last year, but the year before. I think I did six books last year. Those kind of numbers are comfortable for me. Now, at the moment, for obvious reasons, we're in Spain, I've got a lot of distractions. I'm not getting anywhere near as much done as I was. But uh, I think it'll be about four books this year, by the look of it. One non-fiction and three fiction books. Now, they've still got to be written, of course, but uh, the ideas are gathering now. I've got loads and loads of different scenes uh, all ready to go. It's really just... And I think I know where I'm going with, with the plot. Interestingly, I've watched a couple of Netflix series this week and if you're into crime and thrillers and things like that they're really excellent watching compulsive viewing quite disturbing in the case of Night Stalker and then the other one is about the the Cecil Hotel I forgot what it's called but it's based in a place called the Cecil Hotel in the US and all sorts of creepy stuff goes on there uh, but, but just putting myself in the zone of those thrillers just gets the the mind working I you know I find that more effective than reading thriller books in actual fact to watch films and series and uh, we also watched Behind Her Eyes this week which is another top rated Netflix uh, thriller it's more um slightly more fantasy that which is quite interesting uh, but it was still had the hardcore elements of a thriller but just watching and immersing myself in thrillers just gets my brain going. I'm sitting there sending little notes to myself on my phone about title ideas and plot ideas. 
And it's not copying what I'm watching. It's just inspired by what I'm watching. I find that getting into the zone of my genre is what helps me to come up with ideas. So I'm almost getting there. It would be quite a change of quite a change of theme actually with these books and I think that's why I'm hesitating whether I want whether I'm going to do more of the same or whether I'm actually going to completely change this last trilogy in in terms of of the tension of the danger that I created I just want to be careful that I'm not spoiling my inverted commas brand with those books but I'm almost there and I didn't think I was going to start planning until April but it's looking like that I may start planning those books in March now. But, uh, you know, who knows? Who knows? Things are quite unsettled here at the moment, so I'm not quite sure when we're going back and all that sort of stuff. We'll have to wait and see. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm almost there with that book now in, in, in knowing what I'm going to write and getting ready to start planning the chapters. I had another BookBub rejection this week. It was my 12-pack of books. But remember, the 12-pack of books at the moment is listed in KDP Select. It's not wide. So even though it's got 1,300 and whatever it is reviews on it now, uh, it does look quite attractive from that point of view. Uh, I don't think they will list it until it's wide. Unfortunately, when it's wide, I can't get the reads on it. And that's really what I want from it. I want a BookBub in KDP Select with the reads on it because I could be confident of making my money back. Now, I'm not so confident of making my money back if I do it as a wide promotion at 99 pence and cents. I can't believe that six months has passed since I first submitted Left for Dead, but it is six months since Left for Dead was submitted and accepted by BookBub. Now, it was listed wide when they accepted it. It's a KDP select at the moment. And so I'm just awaiting the results. I'm waiting to see whether BookBub let me in or not. I don't expect them to. I'm expecting to have to put all my thrillers wide again until I can start knocking off the BookBubs. Now, um, I I glanced away for a moment. I don't know what I was doing, but um, the thrillers have renewed in KDP Select, which means that they're not due out now until May the 6th. Now, I'm not too fussed about that because it gives a nice gap between the last ones it'll be about nine months if I assuming I put Left 4 Dead in when it was listed wide again after May the 6th and assuming it got accepted first time that would be a break of about nine months since it got a book bub last time and that that feels okay to me for finding fresh audience and for it not feeling like it's old stale or been there before the other thing of course is is that Don't Tell Meg I think has had about five book bubs now so again to me a break of about nine months between those listings won't do any harm at all So I've taken the thrillers now out of KDP Select. So you renew them for a three-month period, and I've deselected the automatic renewal now. So from May the 6th, everything, all of my thrillers will be available to go wide again. Now, at that point, I may decide to just keep everything listed in KDP Select. If if, the ads are doing well and the 12-pack's still doing well, I might just leave it like that. But otherwise, I'll go for um, a period of going wide, try and get a couple of book bubs i'll try and get one on left for dead i'll try and get one on don't tell meg and if and when i get that i'll go back into kdp select again probably probably but not necessarily i think i probably will go back into kdp select what i what i, what I will aim to do is to try and get a couple of book bubs and then put put everything back in ready for the release of the final walker bay trilogy which i i want to be in KDP Select when I run those promos. And then what I think I might do when I 
conclude that series, that Morecambe Bay series. That'll be nine books at that stage. And by the time I've done all the various releases, so if you think about it, it'll be Morecambe Bay Book 7, Morecambe Bay Book 8, Morecambe Bay Book 9. Then there will be a nine-pack of all the Morecambe Bay books, and there will be the three-pack of Morecambe Bay Series 3. I hope you keep it up with all of this. And, and that will be concluded at about February 2022. So at that point, I will have a complete reconsideration of my my strategy. And I think what I'm likely to do then is to put many of my thrillers back into wide, but to leave the Morecambe Bay series, which then has its own integrity, to leave the Morecambe Bay series in KDP Select. So my strategy is likely to be at that point to put all my standalones wide, to put the Don't Tell Meg trilogy wide again, but to have Morecambe Bay books one to nine in KDP Select, which also allows me then to have the three separate box sets and the nine pack, which will become my lead product at that time. That'll be the one I'm thrashing because it's got a whole series of, of, of nine books in that's quite compelling as a sale then. That will replace my 12 pack in terms of my lead product. So at that point, I can start, I think, safely to start to build an audience wide with the thrillers whilst simultaneously being able to thrash this nine pack of Morecambe Bay thrillers in KDP Select. So my feeling is at that point, I'll get the best of both worlds, wide and KDP Select. But of course it won't stop people who come to my work through the nine pack of Morecambe Bay books, they can still then go on to buy the standalones. They won't be in KDP Select, they won't be able to do them as, uh, as reads, but they will be able to buy those books when they're listed wide. So I feel that that gives me the best of both worlds at the moment. That's my strategy with all of this. This week has been the week of press coverage. If you remember, I uh, purchased a package, a PR package, a traditional PR package from a, an old newspaper pal who's based in Carlisle. And they wrote the press release, which I mentioned to you last week. And that press release went out to regional radio and news stations, uh, 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 radio stations, radio stations and newspapers. And it's had a pretty good result, to be honest with you. So what I will do is I will put the links that I've got. How many have I got on this page? I've got five links. And I will put those on the resources page if you want to take a look at the press coverage that I got as a result of that. And interestingly, they, they the papers were given a selection of, of of images, some of them professionally taken. And in actual fact, they they went for the ones that my wife took on her camera. So they're just high quality digital pictures of, of me in various locations. And it was interesting that they went for those. Uh, but of course, you know, most of these, I guess, primarily are going on the web. I know some stuff did go in the paper because my wife was contacted, had a few contacts from people back at home in Carlisle saying they'd seen it. And one of my kids reported from university, not in the Carlisle area, I should say, somewhere else in the country. Um, somebody was asked, they'd spotted it. I don't know who'd spotted it or where they lived, but they'd said, is that your dad in the paper? So it's, it's amazing who sees these things. And you do reach a completely different audience by going through more traditional press outlets. So yeah, the, the current count is five newspaper articles. And those newspaper articles, by the way, are where I wanted them. So they went in the Lancaster Guardian and the Visitor. And, and those are the newspapers that serve that Morecambe Bay area. But also, 
also there was a lot of interest uh, in in Cumbria as well, where I live. Now, Cumbria, the radio station does. I used to work uh, on the in the radio station on the radio station in Barrow in Furness, which is actually on the other side of Morecambe Bay, and I actually do include um, a scene with the wind turbines in the second series in Barrow and Furnace. It is mentioned, in, in, you know, I mentioned that you could look over to Elverson Barrow and Furnace in the books. So, uh, again, that that Bay Area, even if you live on the Cumbria side of it, you know, it has its own um, integrity, I think. You know, it feels like a, a local area, its own identity around that Bay Area. So I was, you know, happy to get it in the News and Star, which is the Cumbria paper. They went on the sort of previous radio guy kind of angle. Uh, the Times and Star, which is out west in, in Cumbria. And Cumbria Crack, uh, which is a whole Cumbria uh, website, uh, gets a lot of traffic and goes down to the Lancashire border. Um, so I, I was perfectly happy with that. The other thing I got was a contact from the big uh, independent bookshop in Carlisle. They contacted me, asking me where they could get copies from, and, and I was delighted. You know, I felt like a tra traditional author because um, I, I'm aware of the local bookshop, and I've done Borderlines, which is our local Carlisle uh, event. Um, I, in the first couple of years of Borderlines, I did uh, sort of self-publishing. Uh, what do you call them, teaching sessions, you know, how-to sessions. And I have to say, you know, I, I, I went off the idea a little bit because I, I found that the majority of the audience were were still thinking very traditionally. When I told them about the work that has to be done to self-publish, that you've got to market an email and you have to do all these things, I, you know, you could see people's eyes glazing over because that's not what they thought writing was all about. So in many respects, I, I, but, but interestingly, having said that, um, you know, you can spot the people a mile off who are going to do it. And um, one of the people I met there was um, John Cronshaw, who's gone on to be a self-publishing superstar. And I could, you could pick John out in the crowd as somebody who was completely switched on, you know, right from the get-go. So, you know, you, you do get through to people in those events, uh, albeit a handful, I feel, of people who are going to go on and they're going to take the information that you give them or work with the information you give them. And, you know, they're going to go on and do other things. And interestingly, there was another chap there. My wife told me this because she mixes in, in different circles to me. And it was one of the organisers who'd sat in, who, who uh, I, he'd told me that he'd really enjoyed it. But, you know, you kind of expect that from the organisers. It's like, you know, it's flattering. It used to happen in radio. People would flatter the talent is what they, you know, what you would call it, um, whether they meant it or not, just to keep the ego buoyed up. And um, th this chap had been very enthusiastic, and I've since found out that he was so inspired by it that he's got on to write some books, which is just amazing. So, um, and, and I, I, incidentally, you know, I, I met another chap at Parkrun, or two people at Parkrun who attended those events, both of whom uh, I've kept in touch with, and um, you know, one of those uh, has gone on to self-publish his book this year and we've gone to talk about publishing you know so so i i met some great people at those events but the, i think for the majority of people there it, it was the wrong event and the wrong inspiration i was delivering a message that they didn't want to hear now this is a long way around of telling you that the carlisle bookshop sponsor the bookends event and i would rather be at the uh, not the bookends event what is it called the, whatever i just told you it was called the carlisle um big uh, reading event that they have but since it started they've moved over to more traditional authors they're not really interested in self-published authors they just they've done what all the book festivals do which is just you know take whatever the publishers are peddling and they're not really interested in the local authors um, but for me this is kind of an inroad it's a contact to the local bookshop who are part of that 
event. And we had an interesting email conversation. They dropped me an email to say, uh, we've been asked for your books. Can we get your books? Can you sort of send them to us at a trade price? And I was delighted to be able to say to them, well, um, you, don't, you, know, you don't need to get them from Amazon. If you go onto your normal, where you would normally order books, because I list them with Ingram Spark, you'll be able to find those books. Let me know if you have a problem. And they got back to me and said they'd had no problem. They'd be able to buy them at the trade price and they'd ordered some of my paperbacks in. So in many respects, that's the first test I've had of the Ingram Spark system. The whole point of me listing on Ingram Spark is, although it's not a big part of my business, um, eBooks are, are the biggest part of my business. And, and I tend to send more, you know, I sell more paperbacks on, on Amazon, but I am seeing paperbacks coming through uh, Ingram Spark now, not a huge amount, but you know enough enough to make a difference of, for me to be interested in it. And so it was. I was delighted that the Carlisle Bookshop could do that. And when I went on the radio as well, so I was asked to appear on BBC Radio Cumbria, which uh, interestingly is my old radio station, the radio station I, I worked on for years. And I was talking to the presenter was a lady called Helen Milliken. She and I used to work together where we were cub reporters in, when would this be? This was before I even worked for the BBC when I was freelancing. It would be way back in 1990, 1991. I used to work with Helen. We used to co-produce a lunchtime programme together where we were both trying to get into um, local radio. We were both kind of newbies and um, we would share production shifts on the lunchtime show. So um, Helen's back presenting now. So it was lovely to talk to Helen after years and years. I mean, we've we've had kids, you know, all our kids have grown up and things since I last saw Helen. So that was really nice to catch up and really quite fitting that she was the one doing the interview. We did have um, some technical issues, unfortunately. I don't know what happened. I asked them to dial me in on Skype and my Skype jammed up. So uh, what I've done is I've, I've taken the interview for you and I will run it right at the end of this episode today. So it'll be the last thing you hear on this episode. You can just have a listen. But I have edited it. Uh, and what you'll do is you'll hear me on a sort of Skype line and then you'll hear Helen ask a question. I'll be on a phone line and that I've just edited that so you don't have to sit through the technical issues um, so you can hear the whole interview. But you can hear that radio interview you right at the end of this episode but what it did enable me to do I said to the bookshop you know if you successfully managed to order those copies I'll give you a plug on the radio and um, it also enabled me to say you know if you prefer to read paperbacks then you could go to your local bookshop and they will be able to order it in they won't have it in stock but they will be able to order it in for you and that felt like a, a quite a powerful thing to be able to say and I was able to say it with confidence because I'd had that one-to-one -one contact with the local bookshop now to me you know, that's a great thing I, I it, it's a lovely thing to be able to have that one-to-one -one contact with my local bookshop uh, you know because it will be lovely locally to do one or two events you know I wouldn't mind doing a library event in Carlisle I wouldn't mind doing a bookshop event in Carlisle or, or, or around the county I wouldn't want to travel all over the country doing it uh, but when it's just on your doorstep it's absolutely fine and I'd be happy to do that so uh, you know I, I feel like I got real benefit from using that PR package and it's it's not over yet um, more might come of it but that's that's where we're up to in the first week but I got what I wanted basically is I got I've got at least five web articles which um, you know are keyworded and which have pictures in them which plug the books and have a link to my website the radio interview I, I don't really mind about it's more of a credibility thing I guess the radio interview and I get the audio I can put it on my website I can put it on this podcast um, so the radio interview don't tend to send books though, though having said that my wife worked in the in the county library service and she said what t tended to happen is is when you get authors on the local radio people come in and say 
uh, I want to get this book by such and such an author. I don't know what their name is, but they were on the radio this week and they expect the, that the library staff to know exactly who it is. So there may be a little kickback with that. And that would just be nice. Uh, I, I guess it's just a vanity metric, isn't it? At a local level. It's never going to sell the kind of books that I do online. Uh, my business, really, the majority of my business, absolutely and without doubt, is in selling ebooks around the world. But it's still nice to have people who can buy your paperbacks locally and read them and also for local outlets to take an interest in what you're up to you know for people to see you as a local author so it felt like a bit of a breakthrough in that department as far as the PR package was concerned um, I'm quite happy with that as value for money because I you know I've worked in radio for years I'm perfectly capable of doing all this but I didn't have to. I just had to sit on an interview. It was somebody else's problem to work out what the story was and what the headline was and to sift through the pictures and decide what pictures they were going to do. It was somebody else's job to send all those to the media outlets. I also know that Nick's been following up. They do the follow-up. You know, are you going to use this story? Can we encourage you to use it? He also liaised and set up the radio interview. So what it did is it took a whole load of hassle away from me. He, he They dealt with all the the calls and the emails and things like that and all I just needed to know was um, you know where do I need to turn up and when uh, and I, I and as you know I you know I prefer it that way I just I delegated it effectively and I know that Nick was chasing up I you know I said to him earlier on the week is it going, going into Lanks live he said oh, I'm on a call with them today I'll chase it and uh, any chance of getting on Radio Lancashire and he was chasing that for me so it was that ability to outsource that work even though I'm perfectly capable of doing it I outsourced it somebody else took care of it and at the end of it I will get a report back from them um, you know to sort of say this is the benefit that you got from that PR package so you know, if you are interested in that I think you know it's fair to say you'd have to be UK based and as I said to you before I don't think it really matters where you are in terms of them doing the interview you know doing the story around what you're doing but I think that if you're not local to Carlisle if you're somewhere else in the UK you'd have to do what I did which is to provide your own pictures via digital camera now as I say my wife took these pictures we, we do this when I go out researching locations I do it for my own publicity and I was delighted to see that they were all quite happy to use those those pictures you know they're, say they're, they're rough and ready but they're not like you know when you see the pictures in the papers and they're all holding this giant cardboard check and it's very posed they weren't pictures like that they were pictures you know of the author doing his research so me standing by a boat on a you know on a marsh by the sea just things like that fairly informal and one of them was even a selfie in front of the pillbox on Sunderland Point and they and they they use that as well so you know, things things have changed, I think, in the media nowadays. And I, you know, I have to say there were probably more, I don't know, well, just less posed pictures than you normally see. So in that respect, you know, I'd have probably been inclined to use those if I worked on a website still as well. Action-packed pictures of people were always preferable to just dull, static pictures. So if, you know, if you could provide pictures of the locality, if you're doing historical-based books or you know, you can take pictures of, I don't know, if you're writing sci-fi, you're at a Doctor Who exhibition or whatnot. If you've got pictures like that of suitable quality and size, then, uh, and, and you've always wondered what a PR package would be like, well, I can tell you it's, it was £175. I'll, I'll let you know whether it was with VAT or without VAT, but it's a maximum of £210. And you can sign this over to Nick and his team and they'll take care of it. So, um, you know, it's a, I offer it 
as uh, something that I'm very happy with. I wouldn't, I, I, you know, I wouldn't do it again unless I had something significant to say. But I definitely felt like I got benefit from this because the the tone of the newspaper articles and the tone of the radio interview was that the Bay finished this week. Here's an author who's writing books, and if you enjoyed the Bay, you'll enjoy these books. And that's perfect positioning, I feel, for me as an author. So it, it, it's a one-off for me. I can't imagine doing it again unless I had a big story. Um, to, to do that I could sit it around uh, but it was certainly well worth doing if you want to know who they are I'll, I'll try and remember to put the link to the company it's called intro they're called intro and they're based in Carlisle I'll try and put their web link in the resources notes if I remember but if you are interested and you just want a referral uh, just give me a shout and I'll send you uh, Nick's, uh, Nick and Helen's way because they're, they, they're the people who run the company This podcast is supported by affiliate sales of memberships to the Alliance of Independent Authors, the professional business membership organisation for self-published authors. I found that I usually cover the cost of membership by using the special codes given out for free listings and revisions on Ingram Spark. Use a couple of those over the course of a year and your membership is easily paid for. However, Ally is much more than that. You can access expert advice, great support and community, a range of podcasts suitable for authors of all levels, and the amazing online conferences which gather industry titans several times a year in order to share their best tips and tricks. When you purchase your Ally membership through my affiliate link, you pay the same price as normal, but I take a percentage of the sale proceeds, which goes to support my time and effort in producing this podcast. To check out the best essential professional membership service for all indie authors, head over to paulteague.net forward slash ally. That's A-L-L-I. I said at the beginning of this podcast that it's been a nuts and bolts week this week, and I have to say, I've really enjoyed it. I've been doing website stuff, and I've been moving the files over that I processed in Vellum and re-uploading them and things like that. It's just been a big kind of drudgery sort of housekeeping week, but it's necessary. So just to remind you, my non-fiction books and my sci-fi books are now listed wide, and they're going to stay that way. I've decided to keep the sci-fi books wide now. Um, I don't really... The thrillers are the ones that make me the money. The sci-fi books, you know, bring in ongoing income. That's fine. Um, it's easier for me to sell the thrillers. Uh, they're obviously where I need to put my focus. I'm not on top of this enough to be marketing the sci-fis and the non-fictions. The non-fictions, to be honest, we tend to sell themselves. Um, I, I'm happy with what they make because the, each book makes more money. I sell them at higher prices. Again, you know, they're not they're not uh, creating a literary sensation. But I, I've always been pleased with the amount of money I get from my non-fiction books just chugging away they just chug away quite happily over time and bring in an income that's worth having so I, I'm quite happy with that with the, the non-fictions I don't really have any tricks about how to sell them I, I, I want what I want to do is I want to put 10% samples or 20% samples of my non-fiction books into book funnel promos the reason I've stalled with that is I don't actually have a list on of, of sort of non-fiction readers I've got a tiny list but not a big list um, so with book funnel nowadays they they chart how many um, links and clicks and things you sent to the the giveaway and the reason I stalled was I was going gung-ho to do that and I thought oh crikey I don't actually have a non-fiction audience that I can send that to at the moment so what I decided to do is that the way around that if you don't have an audience of your own then the best technique to get one 
and to get around the fact that you don't have one is to organise the event and do a great job of organising the event and give everybody lovely graphics and things around it. That That's how you get around that. So I'm, I, to get around the problem of me not having a list in non-fiction, um, I'm going to organise a non-fiction event. But of course that takes time and I, I don't want to do it just yet. So I will get to that, but I'm not ready to do it just yet, but I will get to that. Um, so yeah, the sci-fi books are now live and wide i had a problem actually with the the google play the google books files in that i'd i can't remember the order that it came on but i i think they were originally published through publish drive so i think my i can't remember whether any of them were listed directly but i think they were published originally through publish drive uh, yet even though they're published through publish drive when you go to your google play interface you can still see them there but i was having all sorts of publishing errors with uh, it wouldn't publish them. there were problems with them so i with the the science fiction and the non-fiction i unpublished them on google I went back to Publish Drive, tried to republish them on Publish Drive. And as I've said to you previously, much as I love Publish Drive and the innovation there, it just takes forever to publish um, my books on, on Google Play. They just sit there forever and nothing seems to happen to them. So I, I got fed up with that after a week. I unpublished them on Publish Drive. And what I did instead was I listed them completely fresh on Google Drive. So they're not listed via the portal of Publish Drive, they're listed directly now on Google Books. So I've listed all, uh, what, three of my non-fiction books and all seven, there, there are more because I've got um, I've got the seven pack was listed on there and the two box sets were listed on there as well. So I've got all, all combinations of my sci-fi and my, uh, sci-fi and my non-fiction books now. And they went up uh, with no trouble at all when I listed them directly. So interestingly, when I was doing that, when you list books like that on Google, there's a little section in there when, where you can say to Google Books, this version of the book replaces that version of the book. And as far as I can tell, by using that, it's brought, it's merged those books and it's brought over the reviews as far as I can tell. Um, so if you are listing or relisting books on on google play i mean the chances of you doing that are probably very low to be honest with you but if you have got an old version of a book on google play just look for that section where you can say this version of the ebook replaces that that version of the ebook because it seems to tie them together in terms of that kind of metadata and obviously that's a useful thing to do because one of the reasons why i didn't want to relist them was i have got quite a lot of reviews on google books of my sci-fi books. I didn't want to kind of burn the house down with that and lose all those reviews that I built up over the years when I have been wide. So I don't know what caused that issue. I can only assume it was the way that I published through an aggregator. Um, and I don't know what the problems were. It was just, in the end, it was just easier for me to list them again on Google Play. So all my sci-fi books now with the updated files in Vellum, they've all been uploaded and they're all live now on this is non-fiction and sci-fi sci on Kobo, Apple, what's the other ones? All the other ones as well, you know, Google Books and Barnes and Noble, and of course, Amazon. And the key thing about those sci-fi books is that there's a call to action to go to a single web, web link, which is paulteague.net. I've removed all the social links now, 
and I have also removed from there the secret content links. Now those secret that secret content still exists on portig.net. I moved it over, but I'm going to move that into my email follow-up sequences because then um, it, it's sort of easier than what I've learned is that it's 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 easier to keep the backmaster of a book simple and timeless because then you don't have to mess around with the files less. So I, I'm moving the kind of extra content into my email sequence where I can turn it on, turn it off, change it, update it more easily, rather than having all that in the back matter of my book. So the lesson that I've learned, having so many books to manage, is if I keep my back matter simple, I have to make less changes fewer changes I beg your pardon with it so uh, keep your back matter simple is, is my advice you know because as you come onto Twitter you decide you're off Twitter you go on a Facebook page you change the name of your Facebook page all that has to be updated in the back matter so what I've learned is send them to the mothership paultig.net if I'm on social media if I decide to pick it up again and start doing a lot with social media then I can get people into social media via my email marketing i can say connect with me on twitter connect with me on facebook as part of my email marketing but if i stop it it means i don't have to change all the back matter of those books anymore so i'm just going to my policy from now on is linked to the mothership that's portig.net that's where you can get absolutely everything i do with my writing fiction non-fiction and what's the other ones sci-fi thrillers you get to everything i do and that just keeps life simple for me because I've got too many books now. Is it like 29, whatever it is, 28 books I've got now? It's too many books to be messing around with the formatting every time. So I want to try and reduce the work, uh, the, uh, the messing around with the Vellum files that I have to do, even though it is very easy in Vellum. The other thing I've done this week is I've been working through, um, I formatted uh, How to Build Your Author Platform, which is the current nonfiction book I'm working on. That's getting released on the 23rd of March. So I did the formatting. I wanted to just make the formatting consistent with the other nonfiction books that I've done. I knew it wasn't, and I, I just wanted to check them and make sure that I'd done bullet points in the same style and headings in the same style so that they look like they're, they're branded correctly. That was very quick to do in, in Vellum. I do, I do love Vellum. I, I know I keep telling you, but if you haven't got Vellum, just get it. If, if, if you're going to write more than three books, you know, you'll more than save that money or make that money back in the time that you save. But uh, yeah, it took me no time at all to get that formatted in Vellum. I put it into Book Funnel. I sent the file to myself in Book Funnel, and I'm currently reading it through and giving it a last check on my mobile phone. Interestingly, I do have a, a Paperwhite, a Kindle Paperwhite, but I prefer to proofread my books now on my mobile phone. Isn't that interesting? Um, I, I like the color highlights on my phone, so I find it quicker. I find it quicker to scroll through the um, when I'm read when I'm reading that version of the book I highlight the bits that I need to change if I if I've got um, wording that I don't like or I can improve I highlight that um, and then when I've done the whole book I find it much faster on a mobile phone to just flick through the pages and find out what changes need making um, a Kindle Paperwhite can be quite laggy with that to, to turn the pages far so I've actually switched for speed to, to proofreading my books on my mobile phone, which is interesting, isn't it? But I say the, the color highlights are easier to see than the, the, the darkened highlights on a paper white. So I found that that improves my productivity. Uh, Morecambe Bay, or The Bay, on television came to an end on ITV this week. So I have now switched off my Morecambe Bay ads. That's on Facebook and that's on Twitter. And I'm now focusing my advertising entirely on the 12 pack of my thrillers. So 
I have got uh, Facebook ads. I just bumped up the budget a bit more on the 12 pack of thrillers, which continues to sell, continues to be in profit every day. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And bearing in mind that I'm going to be working with Kirsten Oliphant again, Kirsten dropped a podcast episode last night, which explained how her household of two adults and five children has been without water in the US for the past, I think it was at least a week, and they couldn't flush the lose or anything. So that, that that's why we've bumped, you know, a, a consultancy session with Paul is the least of Kirsten's problems. So as soon as things have recovered and they're sorted out there, they're back to normal, we'll get that session booked in. But, but having had a brief chat to Kirsten about Amazon ads, uh, and that she uses them I've always had uh, loads of traffic when I've when I've done my when I've done my thriller box sets before when they're at ninety nine pence or cents I've always had loads of traffic on Amazon ads but they haven't been in profit looking at the usual parameters that you look at so I've always I've always had lots of clicks but but the profitability hasn't been there now when I chatted to Kirsten just as a an overview of what I wanted to talk about she said well I I use Amazon ads for visibility and I and I I find that I make more sales in general when I have those ads and and thinking about it I thought yeah I'd have to agree with that the the data in Amazon's dashboard tells me I'm not making a profit but how do I feel about it I feel like it's doing okay I feel like it's helping me but I can't prove that with data and the dashboard doesn't tell me that so in, in sort of anticipation of this session that I'm going to have with Kirsten I've now set up a 12-pack Amazon ad in the UK and in the US, I've got a. Um, uh, by, by the way, that's auto. Um, it's auto targeting. Uh, I don't. I, I had no success when I picked my own keywords. I have much more success with auto targeting. So I've got an auto targeted twelve pack promo in the UK. But in the US, I've got an auto targeted twelve pack um, with just the default text on. And I've also done another version of it with my own um, copywriting text on it too, to test the two of them. So I'll let you know how that goes. And I'll, I'll wait for Kirsten to look at that and get some feedback on that when we have our session. But I, I, I'm entirely promoting the 12 pack. Now that the reason for that is, is the 12 pack is just a mini marketing machine for me. Because, um, when you get to the end of the Don't Tell Meg trilogy. You know, when you get to the, the end of the first book in the Don't Tell Meg trilogy, there is a promo there to sign up to my list for the slides showing the locations in the book. When you get to the end of the of Left for Dead, which is the first book in the Walk and Bay trilogy, there is a promo in the book encouraging you to sign up for my list again to get the scenes from the book, the, the photo scrapbook. And those are going well, by the way. It's working really well for me. I'm much happier with that because I don't want to give away a free book. It takes a lot of time to write a book. I'm not going to give away a free book as a, as a list magnet, but I'm finding these galleries are working very well. Um, so I feel like I've, I've hit on something there. So also um, at, the end, at the end of the first Walk and Bay trilogy, there is a promo to the second Walk and Bay trilogy. And at the end of the 12 pack, there is a promo to Now You See Her, which is the one book, the one standalone book, which isn't included in that 12 pack. So if you think about that 12 pack, if you think about why I'm putting all my effort into that, it flies off the shelves. I mean, I'm constantly, honestly, the reaction on Facebook is just brilliant. You know, there's 
comments every day. I love this series. It's just it's wonderful on Facebook, and, and uh, people are sharing it with each other, suggesting it to their friends, saying, "I read this. You know, I'd recommend this." It, it work. It's working really well on Facebook. Still, after almost it's more than a year now, it's been running more than a year. These ads, and I haven't changed the ads at all. Same old ads, and um, so I'm you know I'm still very happy with them. They're still making a hundred or more percent profit a day, uh, that sequence of ads, even though I have reduced the budget a lot now, I'm, I'm probably gonna be increasing it again now. Um, now the waters aren't muddied by also running more Bay adverts as well. It's easier for me to track the results from them. But if you think about that 12 pack, it's, it's a great no brainer, it's 99 pence or cents, so amazing value. It attracts huge page reads, really, really good page reads, which is where I make my money. And when it's going really strong, that's where I made my bonuses, my KDP bonuses. But there are three, no, two two prompts to sign up for my list in that book. And there are two prompts to buy higher price products. So there's a prompt to get Morecambe Bay Trilogy 2, and there's a prompt to get Now You See Her. And I know, again, from when the book was flying off the shelves last year, I was making really good sales of Now You See Her. So I know that works too, that at the end of the 12-pack, people are desperate for another book, and they go on to buy Now You See Her. So I've turned that 12-pack into a mini marketing machine. And, and it's working you know, very well for me because I'm making 100% profit or more every day on my Facebook ads. And now now I'm I'm out of kind of promoting that more, that more base series, which as I say, muddied the waters a little bit with the numbers. I am now super focusing on that 12 pack again, and I'll ramp the budgets up. And again, around what Kirsten has told me, make some adjustments to those campaigns and see what we can do with them. So that means I finished my Twitter ads this week. And you'll be interested to hear that I just kept those Twitter ads running in the same way that I said to you that I can't put numbers on it because I've got no proof, I've got no evidence of this. But I felt that the Twitter ads were, although I can't prove it, I felt that the Twitter ads were, were doing well for me. And the numbers, the headline numbers confirm that. So with my Twitter ads, I've been running them can't remember for how long it must be for about the six weeks probably about the six weeks that the the bay series has been running on the television i had fifty one thousand seven hundred and eighty two impressions i spent 200 quid uh, over that six weeks i had 1351 clicks from twitter the link click rate was on average 2.61 percent and it cost me 15 pence per click now you would not be unhappy with those numbers on Facebook ads. I would be happy and delighted with those those ads on Facebook numbers. And again, I can't prove that the Facebook numbers deliver me sales. I, I know they do, but, but I can't prove it. I can't prove that that click led to a sale. So I'm very happy with those numbers in Twitter. There's nothing about those numbers. Bearing in mind I'm selling a 99p ebook at 15 pence per click, I can still cover myself. If uh, you know, I know because that ad, those ads have been running for a long time that the majority of people who make the click will, will buy the book because it's a, a no-brainer deal. So I'm happy with those numbers. Now, I've used Twitter intermittently in the past. I've never had great success with it. I can't prove the success. But just like I was having that conversation with Kirsten about the Amazon ads, I don't feel like that did me any harm at all. I don't feel like that was a problem. And 
over the period of the bay, if you think that I've spent £200 on a PR campaign, I've spent £200 on Twitter, I can't remember how much I've spent on Facebook ads, you know, and I've sold a lot of Morecambe Bay books during that time. You know, I don't feel that that was a waste of time. And, and I'm pump priming this, you know, because there are six books in that series now. So I've got more money to, to, to play with in the Morecambe Bay series. Plus, of course, all those people who read the six books and enjoy them, there's a call to action at the end of the final book saying the next season is the next series is coming up at you know in autumn winter 2022. So lots of those readers are going to be waiting for the next series. So you can see how just by using one twelve pack of books, I've turned it into a mini marketing machine, and I'm priming already sales for next year well later this year i beg your pardon when i start to release Morecambe bay trilogy three um you know so hopefully obviously not everybody could do that uh, because you don't you might not have enough books but just think about how you could turn each individual book into a mini marketing machine what can you do in that book to make it tempting for somebody to sign up for your email list and to sell more books how can you sell more books as a result of one sale that's really what we're playing for. I, you know, I would rather, I said to you, I've removed the social media links in the back of my books. You know, I would rather get an email sign up and a cross sale from a book sale. You know, sell one book, sell another. I want to get people hooked. And even in my standalones, I work very hard at that. Um, I put, um, in, in every single one of my standalones, there is a preview. I, I tend to put previews generally of the trilogies because I know if I get them to read the first part of a trilogy they'll go on to write, read the second and the third part and I'll make more money from that so I'm generally promoting my trilogies in the back of books so if you read one of my standalones I'm trying to bring you into my my sort of series and my trilogies because I make more money from you uh, rather than getting one sale off you I stand to make three sales off you or with the Morgan Bay trilogy now if I get you to buy Left for Dead and you enjoy it, then I'm probably going to make another five sales from you. And those five sales are going to be at full price, not at 99p or for free. So that's what we're playing for all the time with this. If you've got a really good memory, you'll know that I told you I was trying a new service called ScribeCount. And it's the, 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 the best way I've seen at the moment of, of how it pulls in all of your sales from draft to digital and from Amazon. And you can see it all in a panel. It gives you lots of lovely... Uh, uh, pie charts to show you where you're making your sales and which are your biggest territories and things like that. So it's the nicest laid out thing that I've seen. I know that they're having, um, as you always do with these things, teething problems. You know, I used to launch softwares in the past and it's horrible when you get real users on it, you find out all the problems with everything. And that's what they're doing at the moment. So at the moment, they're encouraging people to come in. It's free at the moment. Um, you do have to, it's free if you've got, I can't remember what the numbers are. I told you two weeks ago, I think, in a, in a previous podcast. But if you've only if, if you're only making sales of a certain amount, I think it's under five hundred pound a month or something like that. It's going to be free. So if you're starting, that's great. Um, I would have to pay quite a lot for it uh, for mine. Uh, uh, I think it's based on sales, and I'm not sure of the value of that. I, I would be more inclined to buy it for a month take my report and then cancel it rather than having it as an on an ongoing basis. I'm not publishing books regularly enough to justify the expense of it. So I thought it was quite expensive, but um, I got a reply because I said to them, 
I looked at my what my all-time sales were. It was saying something like quarter of a million dollars, and I thought, blimey, if I'm if I'm in a position to be expressing my sales in fractions of millions, we're really doing well. And then I saw where the figure had come from, and it had given me something like $111,000 of sales in India. And I thought, well, Amazon haven't paid me $111,000 worth of sales in India. So I dropped the support desk a line and said, you know, either I'm a huge hit in India and I don't know it, and, or there's something wrong with your software. And I got a, a reply from them this week saying the uh, development team say that the mistake was due to Amazon assigning the wrong currency conversions. They've got the wrong currency conversion, which is what I thought they had. Uh, and they put the funny comment in, so we all got rich for a few days. Yeah, I know. It felt really good. I thought, if that's for real, that's really good. But I, I suspect, you know, it'll be, it'll be, it's going to be much less than that. I do actually sell a lot of books in India, but as a strategy, I, uh, I mean, I did really well this month in India. I looked at the number and, and thought, it always looks really high in India. And you think, crikey, that's a lot. Um, but when you realise what it is in, in dollars and pounds, it's ne it's never that much. Uh, but I, I, I proactively, I have really low prices in India, uh, intentionally, because I just want people to read them in India. I know that, um, you know, to do anything in India, you have to have low prices. So my books are really low priced in India. And I, I'm pleased to say... I sell books in India and, and I'm very happy with that because it's a kind of an emerging market as far as I'm concerned. So I use my Indian books as loss leaders, but I do, I look at my numbers in India and think, well, you know, I'm making some impact out there. I am selling books in India this month. I did all right in India. I was quite surprised at it. So as I say, that's a strategic thing, a long-term strategic thing for me that I just want people reading and passing around my books uh, in India. So anyhow, just to, to get back to the point, Scribe County is having some teething problems. They are responding to teething problems. And while they've got teething problems like that, they're not charging anybody. So it's a really good time, I would suggest, to get in there, have a look, whether, you know, whether you're going to have to pay for it or not, and see what you think of it. But just bear in mind, they're not charging at the moment while they sort out all these little problems. But you know, for a moment, I could allow myself to dream and think of myself as being a great hit in India. Unfortunately, the reality didn't pan out like that. I dropped um, Alex Newton a line this week uh, from Kalytics because I I think it was I saw Joanna Penn promoting Kalytics and she had an affiliate link and I've looked for an affiliate link. You, you, usually, when we used to do internet marketing, you used to have the sales page. And you always used to have a very clear affiliate page so that affiliates could sign up. And um, I've always I've looked at Kalytics and I couldn't see any evidence of there being a an affiliate link there or program but when I saw Joanna Penn promoting via what was obviously an affiliate link this week I dropped Alex Newton a line and said uh, I buy all of your reports for sci-fi psychological thrillers you know suspense crime uh, and non-fiction and I'm always talking about your reports on the podcast so any chance of a referral link and Alex got straight back to me he's away from home at the moment so just drop me a line to the support desk and I'll give you a referral link so you will start to hear me using a referral link for Kalytics because I bought another one this week as you know I I've I'm not making enough money consistently enough and I don't see the value in my business of buying the VIP sets but as you know, the minute one of my genres comes out, I just buy it. I buy the latest report and I get a tremendous amount of value from it. So this week I bought the Psychological Thrillers uh, 20, 21 edition. 
I just I just buy all these the minute they come out. And uh, there's a brilliant sequence of images in this year's report showing the imagery used on psychological thrillers. I mean, for that graphic alone and that research alone, it was worth me getting the report. Absolutely fascinating what, what imagery people are using in their book covers. So that was gold dust. Um, so as I say, you know, because I, I'm always bigging them up, I said to Alex, look, I don't have a huge audience on the podcast, but I, I am always talking about your reports. It would be nice if I could have a little uh, referral link and he's straight onto it. And uh, you'll know as soon as it's arrived, because there'll be a little one of those little adverts that I record for this podcast will drop in. And you'll hear me talking about calytics and the kind of value that I get from the calytics reports. But, you know, they really have changed things for me, those calytics reports, because what it gives me is proper data on which categories I should be listing in. It helps me to list my full 10 categories. You get 10 categories in a book. And I don't know about you, but I can never usually work out what the categories are. But calytics tells me the profitable uh, categories I should be listing in in my genre. It lets me keep in touch with the kind of keywords that people are doing, what the best books are, and what kind of cover designs they're using as well. Um, and it gives me great keyword ideas for those seven keywords that you get in any books that you list. So it just takes the guesswork out of it. It just means that I can be uh, strategic about what I'm doing rather than just guessing, which is what I was doing before I started using these Kalytics reports. And I can tell you, um, using Kalytics is what made the difference between me being frustrated getting to number one in free charts and finally getting to the top of charts that were paid. Calytics is what made the difference there because it told me, uh, it informed me with data where I, which categories I should be putting my books in and so that they sell. So that's the benefit that you get from Calytics reports. But as I say, um, and sorry about this, Alex, but you know, I, I, can't, I can't see the personal value of me going VIP but I absolutely can see the value of getting the reports the minute they come out. And uh, I'm happy to have my mind changed by somebody, if you can change my mind on that. But that's kind of my policy with those in my own author business at the moment. Just to finish off then, I finished my February run challenge this morning. I did my final f uh, of the five Ks. So the challenge was to run 14 five kilometer runs. These were running rather than uh, you know walking them. So I did the last one today, and that means I've run, I've run 48 miles in distance in February. Now, um, these virtual runs are organized by the Great North Run. And as you know, it's very difficult without part run going ahead. It's very difficult to keep yourself motivated with this because I'm running on my own. It's lovely running with people. It's lovely having the event of part run every week. So it's much harder to kick yourself out there and do it on your own. Um, and I found these virtual events really, really good because it's like a red rag to a bull to me. If I've got a challenge and I've paid and I've got 14 runs to do, as sure as hell I'm getting out there and doing them. Uh, you know, so it's just what I need. I need to gamify it at the moment. So yeah, 40, 14 runs in February, 48 miles in distance. So I was looking back at my page my where I record all my kind of run results because they give me a nice little certificate and I'll get a little medal. My drawer's got a couple of medals in it at the moment. But I was thinking I, I, I'm quite pleased with what I've done out in Spain because in December, I did the December challenge. We did the San Silvestre, which was the Spanish run on New Year's Day. I did the January challenge, the February challenge, and I'm going to sign up for the March challenge as well. And now in the UK, they've got a roadmap to, to get us out of the kind of lockdown restrictions in the UK. I listened to a podcast today with the organisers of Park Run, and it sounds like, well, Park Run is going to start on June the 6th 
or thereafter. It depends whether they have to slip any dates. So it's not going to start any earlier than June the 6th, which is really handy for my timing, because we're talking about, if we can, probably staying out here to the end of April, the end of May, just depending on paperwork and things like that. So if I come back at the end of May, then part run would start uh, in June. I don't know whether I can get a vaccine out in Spain. They're a bit slower out in Spain, but I'll either get a vaccine out in Spain or I'll get one as soon as I can when I'm back in the UK because I'm a man of a certain age. Um, I think they'll have already worked through the kind of 55 and above then. So uh, returning to the UK, I just go straight to the doctor and, and get vaccinated straight away if I haven't managed to have one in Spain. They're just lagging a bit, a bit behind here uh, in Spain. So, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll just have to see how that goes. But I wouldn't do a part run until I had my first vaccine. Um, so those timings feel like they're about right to me. But that's all very exciting. So having heard when part run's going to resume, Touchwood, June the 6th, then I'm thinking, right, that's great. I'll just keep doing these virtual runs, uh, you know, to keep myself fit and ready, ready for when part run starts again. But that is going to be a great day when I go back to part run. Now, everybody who takes part is going to feel that way. You know, we're back. We've been gone for a year. I cannot wait to get back to that and go running with other people again. Okay, that's it. Bit of a longer one this week. We're just short of an hour. Actually, it'll be an hour by the time we've finished. Because to finish off this week, here is the audio from my BBC Radio Cumbria interview this week. Just remember that halfway through, there was a technical problem. So you'll hear the audio quality changing where I did the edit. But it will just give you a sense of what went out on the radio this week. You're with BBC Radio Cumbria around about lunchtime, depending, might be just before or just after. For some people, it is 13 minutes past 12. And now a new crime drama set in Morecambe Bay has proven a big hit during this coronavirus lockdown. The second series of The Bay, which concluded last night. Don't worry, no spoilers if you haven't seen it yet. A ratings winner for ITV but it was actually the original series series one of the show that inspired a Cumbrian author to write his own set of thrillers set in Morecambe and that author is Paul Teague he is with us now um, but he's in Spain it's all right for some that these these fancy authors my goodness Mr Teague good afternoon to you good afternoon it's lovely to speak to you Helen yes it's lovely here we've got some sunshine Lovely subject. It's good in Cumbria today, I hear. Yes, it's not too bad, actually. It is brightening up. The sky is becoming ever bluer as I glance out of... Um, well, you know, you know, because a little interesting twist to this particular tale is that Paul used to work here. In fact, we were colleagues once upon a time, weren't we, as well? Those were in the days before my voice had broken, Helen. Do you remember? Uh, and we used to work on Kaz Grand's show, so it's like a bit of a reunion this afternoon. It, it, it really is. And, 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 but I had no idea that you are making your living, you're working full-time as an author. So I, I'm, I'm really interested to, to delve into that. And, and I know that the particular trilogy that you are working on, even though you are um, in Sunkist Spain currently, focuses on Morecambe Bay. And although you are not there in person now, there can't be that many people, I don't suppose, that know the area better than you, because it, it's kind of your stomping ground. Yes, I went to Lancaster in what was then called St. Martin's College in 1983, all those years ago. And uh, in, in those days, we used to get things called student grants. 
uh, which you'll have to read about in history books nowadays. And I didn't have much of a grant, so I had to go and work in the summer holidays to, to make up my, my income. And I'd also met my now wife, then girlfriend, uh, at college as well. So we didn't want to split for the summer. So we went to, uh, we got summer jobs in Hesham at the old Pontins holiday camp and uh, you know, worked there for the summer. And that's actually what ended up in, inspiring this series of novels. But during the summers, we would go to the Radio 1 Roadshow. Uh, we would go to Frontierland. Uh, Morecambe used to have its own uh, quite large fun fair. It was large in those days. I mean, they're massive nowadays at Blackpool. But in those days, it was quite a thrill to go to Frontierland. And as a student, I used to go to the pier. We used to go to, to discos on the pier, and you could look down through the floorboards at the sea below. It was actually quite disconcerting. <laughs> if you weren't with us a little bit earlier on, just, just to set the scene for you, if you've been watching The Bay on ITV, which finished last night, the crime drama, big ratings hit. Uh, the original series, well, I can't remember how long ago it was on now, um, but that particular TV series inspired Paul who is an author to write his own set of thrillers in fact his own trilogy of thrillers set in Morecambe and we were when we were rudely interrupted you were reminiscing about how well you knew Morecambe and uh, what one of the ways you got to know Morecambe well was being on the pier at the disco and um, seeing the waves between the gaps in the floorboards yeah, it was terrifying. I went there during Freshers' Week at St Martin's College, and to actually get to the disco, anybody who remembers it will know this, you've got your hair all nicely done for a night out, and just walking into the disco, it would blow your hair all over the place. So you were a complete state by the time you got in. And as I say, it was terrifying because the floorboards would move as everybody was jumping and dancing, and you could see the sea below. I mean, you know, I, I don't know whether there's any, there are still piers available, but whether they've got floors like that, I can't imagine that health and safety would allow it these days. Oh, indeed. Now, then, Morecambe, you do know very well, but what made you, apart from obviously seeing the TV drama, was that was that the catalyst that made you think, actually, you know, I think this would be but probably more than a setting, a great setting for, for some of my books? Yeah, you, you get your ideas from all over the place, Helen, when you, when you write thrillers, but... Um, I like to watch thrillers on the TV because it gets you into the zone when you're thinking of stories. And I, I was watching the first series of The Bay and, and seeing all those locations around. And it just it brings back memories as these things do. And then the idea uh, started to form um, using the, the old Pontins holiday camp, which was, was knocked down uh, several years ago now, um, if I recall correctly. It's a sort of housing estate now. Um, but it just, it just brought those ideas. And, and usually I start my books with a with a single scene, a single shocking scene, and then I take it from there. But I just thought the holiday camp and the whole environment of Morecambe in the 1980s when I was a student there, you know, would provide a great backdrop for a, a series of, of thrillers. So it's nothing like the Bay, even though it's got the same sort of atmosphere and setting of the Bay. Uh, the Bay just, you know, brought those memories flooding back, and then a story came from that. And, uh, of course, you need characters uh, to drive the story forward. And uh, your your characters, many of them, uh, come from the world of journalism, which is slightly scary, considering the, <laughs> that you are a former colleague. Um, but um, and I, I can't imagine what, what, what on earth you found, found thrilling um, working here. But anyway, in terms of, in, well, no, certainly not in, I don't mean um, in general, but in terms of crime. Uh, but, but, 
yeah, what about what about your characters and how do you how do you go about developing them and why why have you chosen to, I suppose, use that world other other than because I suppose it's the world that you know. Well, and, and that's it, you see, because most people, when they write um, thrillers of this nature, you have, um, you know, various uh, police officers of, of different ranks, and they call those procedural thrillers, you know, in which case you could be very, uh, very careful about getting all the, the, the policing details right. And um, I decided that it, I would be better writing from a position of knowledge, um, less so at Radio Cumbria, because I tended to be behind the scenes on my second stint at Radio Cumbria. But when I used to work at BBC Radio Humberside, I used to present the breakfast show there, and I would talk to heads of social services, all the police officers. We used to have some huge police cases there. And it just struck me that as a, as a reporter, as a journalist, you know all the key people in a local community. And if you just um, add a little bit of you know, crime and intrigue to that scene, um, you've got the, the makings of a great thriller. But journalists have access to those people in the same way that the police do. The journalists have slightly different access. They, they often know them socially. Uh, you know, rather than formally, mm. and it, and, and it, it's very very rich for for thrillers. You know, having having reporters because reporters they can kind of get behind the scenes. They can get in places that other people don't get. They could be nosing, and um, and that's really what I wanted to bring into the book. And it, and it feels just a bit different from having um, you know DCIs and um, you know um, detectives on the case. And I suppose with detectives, clearly that they have experience in reading character deciding whether someone's telling the truth or telling fibs whereas with journalists you have that sort of sort of skill to to I don't know, get under people's skin find out what's underneath and, and really get to know people and i know that in particular you you have drawn quite some praise for your female characters and and indeed sort of the central character in in this trilogy or certainly in the first book is a woman Yes, and it wasn't going to be. When, when, when I start to write a book, you're never quite sure who's the loudest voice is going to be. And in this case, it was just naturally Charlotte Grayson, who's the protagonist. And, um, you know, I know you're always on dodgy territory with this, but I, I, I would quote George R.R. R. Martin, you know, the, the, the chap who we all know, you know, did the, the, the big series on, on Sky TV. And he said, um, when he was asked about his female characters, he said, you know, I've always considered women to be people. And that's really where I come from. You know, whether you're a male character or a female character, you just, you're a person, essentially. And I get a lot of feedback. A lot of my readers, or the majority of my readers, are, are women. And I was really pleased to get an email from a reader who said, you know, I want to be like Charlotte. I want to be Charlotte. She's like a, a middle-aged uh, superhero in many respects because she's, um, she's, you know, my kind of age. She's got um, kids who are sort of 18, 19, 20. Um, she, she's married. And, but she gets caught up in terrifying situations and she just can't let go in terms of investigating and trying to protect her family who also get caught up when she does. So, so you you have this domestic setting for some quite and context for some really rather terrifying events, which I suppose, in a way, sort of lends to lends itself to to the realism of it, because because you know if that setting and those relationships are, are convincing to us, that then you are drawn in and think, oh gosh, yeah, you, this could really happen. Yes, yes, I heard from another reader who said, you know, I really just like the kind, you know, the domestic stuff in there, the, 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 the conversations, just normal household conversations, stress with the kids, things like that, that that forms part of the backdrop. So 
I describe my books as, as terrifying things happen to ordinary people. So it's just like you or me um, just getting caught up in something that's you know, out of our normal world. And it's terrifying. And we have to react. I don't have superheroes in my book. I just have normal people. You know, uh, when you look at Jack Reacher, for instance, something a character like Jack Reacher, he's got all these, he knows how to fight, he knows how to use guns, he could do all these amazing things. In my books, I always think, well, what if somebody like me and you got caught up in something terrible? And we had to protect our families and the people that we love, but we don't have any special skills. We don't know how to fight, we don't know how to use guns, but we've got to fight, you know, deal with these baddies and, and somehow get ourselves out of it. And that's what my books are about. They're very uh, domestic in nature in that respect. But of course they have to be, oh, I, I think a, a popular adjective here might be taught. They have to uh, hang together. That they, they, I mean, you don't want to be guessing who, who done it or, or where it's going uh, in Chapter 3, do you, as well? And also you've got to be really careful not to um, not to make any mistakes, whether they be anachronisms or whether they be um, loose ends that you, you maybe haven't tied up properly. You know, you have to be on the ball if you're a crime thriller writer, I would suggest. Yeah, it's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) I have have what I call beta readers, people who read the book before uh, it goes to the editor. And they're they're people who who like the books, who enjoy what I write. So they're predisposed to like it. And they they tell me things that I've I've got wrong. So, for instance, I've got a reader who lives in Morecambe who's excellent. He gives me excellent feedback. He says, actually, you wouldn't go that way to the library in Morecambe. You'd actually go this way. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so hopefully we we catch those little problems uh, before the book goes you know, get, gets formally published and actually goes to the editor. So I do have pre-readers, you know, people who are always looking for things like that. And I always say to the, you know, have I missed anything? Did I get anything wrong? You know, anything you want to point out. So it hopefully goes through that testing process, you know, before before it goes out and gets sold. Now, you said the word book there. Well, technically, we're talking books, though, aren't we? Because because you seem to specialise, no, not entirely, but in this instance, in trilogies. Right? I mean, as if writing one book weren't enough, well, let's just launch three at once. I love trilogies. In actual fact, I write sci-fi and non-fiction books as well, and the first books I wrote were science fiction books. And uh, that first book I ever wrote uh, turned into a trilogy, so I've written five trilogies now, two sci-fi and three psychological thriller trilogies. I like trilogies. I I just like the pattern of the trilogy. Uh, They are harder to write in that you have a story within each of the books, but also you have to keep the tension going over the, the full three books so you don't get the big reveal. You don't really know what's happening right until the final pages of the last book. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is tricky, but you know, each book has to have its own plot and thrill and, and climax, but you've got to keep the big reveal going until the end. But I've, I just love, from my first book, you know, the first book turned into a trilogy, I love the pattern of trilogies. It's my favourite way to write rather than writing a single book. I, I get on better with it. But from the reader's point of view, though, you know, when you're thinking about which book to tackle next, I suppose, you know, if you're thinking, well, if I, if I, if I launch into the first one of these, I'm going to have to read all three and keep, and keep going. Or, or, or would you say, you know, you, you could read one as a standalone and then go away and come back to, say, number two? No, you've, got, you, 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 you've got to read um, each trilogy. So each trilogy reaches a conclusion. 
but when I, I always do my kind of advertising, um, I always say, uh, you know, it's a trilogy, make it very clear. Um, but yeah, uh, to be honest with you, it's a sales technique. Um, <laughs> you want to, you know, uh, series are the best way to write as an author because people read through, they get addicted and they, they can't stop reading. So it's uh. a bit like the net, the Netflix phenomenon. You know, you want people to binge read um, your book. So I do it really as a, as a, it's just a way of selling more books, to be honest with you. Oh, because oh, oh, I, I was thinking that it would have the reverse effect, but I can see, I see what you mean now, the whole binge idea. And, and, and the other thing that, that, that's intriguing me, and, and I would like to get in before we have to stop talking, is, you know, how how you, having had a successful career as a journalist and, and worked in, in various other uh, sort of PR guises as well, how you, how you came to take the plunge and decide, do you know what? I'm going to be a full-time author. And, and how do you do that? Because so many of us, I mean, there you are, sitting in Spain, writing your books in the winter, and we're, we're thinking, oh, for a life like that. But we <laughs> never actually do like, it. Uh, no, most people don't. Most people say they want to write a book, and they never do. And that's actually what made me write a book, because um, I wrote my first book at the age of nine. It was The Adventures of Mr. Plum and Mr. Apple, possibly the best work I've ever done. And it was written on a Basil and Bond pad by hand. And I sent it off to Penguin. I've still got the typewritten rejection letter from Penguin Books, um, you know, saying thank you very much for the book. We enjoyed this, that and the other. Uh, but no, no, thank you very much. And that was in 1974, something like that. I've still got that letter. So I always wanted to write. And interestingly, being a journalist was brilliant for writing. I mean, you, you'll know this, Helen. You know, you're always up against deadlines. Uh, nothing, waits, you know, nothing waits for a program, a live program. You have to write scripts at great speed. And I hadn't realized how well that had set me up to be a writer. So when I came back to it, I, I, I actually, the reason that I, I ended up writing was I went in for a competition. And it, it was only 5,000 words. Um, for the competition. And when I read the rules properly, I realized I was supposed to have the whole book written. And um, so I thought I'd better get that written then. And it just, you know, encouraged me to, to, to finish the book. And once I'd started, once you've written the first book, you know you could do it and you just carry on after that. You know, the first book's the hardest. If you can get that one written, it's easy after that. I'll take your word for it. Well, it clearly is to you, and you're clearly loving what you're doing, and and your productivity <laughs> is pretty impressive too. Um, but your second Morgan Bay pr uh, trilogy is out now. The three books are entitled individually: "Trust Me Once," "Fall from Grace," and "Bound." by blood uh, intriguing titles in themselves uh, they are out now uh, how, how do we get hold of them paul okay so um i can tell you that the bookends bookshop in carlisle has got some in they're just getting them in for the weekend uh, if you prefer paperbacks but you can uh, you can buy paperbacks and ebooks if you go to amazon and just look up my i have different names for different genres look up paul j teague on amazon and you'll see all my thrillers in there but uh, locally bookends and if you prefer paperbacks just go to your local bookshop and they'll be able to order them in they might have them on the shelves but they will be able to order them in well, um, f from sunny Spain to Morecambe Bay, um, via the publishing world, this has been a fascinating chat with you this afternoon, Paul Teague. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, good luck with this particular trilogy. And, uh, you know, you may be doing a public service here for people who are devastated by, um, by the fact that the bay has just finished. I, I certainly hope so. It's been lovely speaking to you again, Helen, after all these years. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. You can check out the show notes and listen to the back catalogue episodes at paulteague.net forward slash podcast. 
If you want to record a question for me to answer on the show, please head for paulteague.net forward slash question. If you've heard something that's helpful to you in your author business and you'd like to support the show, then you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash paulteague. That's it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you have a great week of writing. From me, Paul Teague, bye-bye for now.